check this out, y'all. Audio level full volume. It's Showtime. This is Border to Border with Matt Josephs. He's super famous. This guy's a fraud, a phony. I respect women. I love women. I respect them so much that I completely stay away from them. Matt, your manliness is overwhelming. Sports, 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 sports. Audio level full volume. It's go time. Here's Matt Josephs on Richmond's 1061 ESPN. Good afternoon, everybody. Border to Border, 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here. It is a nice day outside, and we're trying to uh, have some positivity after uh, uh, yesterday's unfortunate news. Um, got a lot to get into on the show today. We'll take you up to 4 o'clock. Bob Black and Sean Robertson will do 4 until 6 on the Sports Huddle. Um, they've got some fantastic guests, so make sure to uh, stick around uh, for that. We have a fantastic guest here. And if you watch the Pat McAfee show, you see this guest on his show. So I'm technically sharing a guest that Pat McAfee has on his show. He's done all sorts of stuff. He's a college football analyst. He's one of the best college football linebackers um, that's out there. Uh, Joining us at 315 will be Bobby Carpenter. And um, it's ironic because I... Go So on Saturday mornings on College Sirius XM Radio, there's a show that they do that previews the college football Saturday. I don't know necessarily what the channel's number is. I don't know all that stuff, but um, I go on their show every Saturday morning. And, and most times it's Bobby Carpenter and a guy named Chris Plank who does stuff with uh, Oklahoma. And so um, I go on their show and I give them co- uh, betting advice. So I was like, you know... Bobby's all over the place, and I, the first thing, and he'll tell you, the first thing I do every time I go on there is I say, I make a JMU-related thing. I'm like, happy 10-0 day, or happy 11-0 day, or, and then like we kind of get into that a little bit before getting into everything else. So I'm going to have Bobby on. We're going to talk, obviously, national college football mostly, but I want to get his thoughts on the NCAA, once again, just not understanding anything. And look, there's just not a lot of things that I can say now. There's really not. I mean, we've kind of exhausted the topic. Everybody who is not in New Orleans, Toledo, Troy, um, trying to think of another team that might be in the middle, Liberty, you know, I, I think outside of those cities, everybody's unhappy with the NCAA. And the fact that it, it it's one of those things where um, it's one of those things where there's just no reason other than just sticking to antiquated rules to have JMU not play in a bowl game and in a New Year's Six bowl game. And thank God, for the NCAA's sake, that they're not having a 12-team playoff because then JMU would be in the playoff and it would be even larger stakes than the New Year's Six bowl. But it's just that, you know, you see the commercials. Every once in a while, the NCAA runs these corny commercials. It's like, hey, we're the NCAA. We're here for you. We're here for the student-athlete. We believe in the student-athlete, blah, 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 blah. And like they do all these commercials, and they make you like, oh, the NCAA is such a great organization. And then they do this, in which case there's nothing positive whatsoever. You know, I understand. Look, I understand by the letter of the law, even if the letter of the law is, law is wrong, they can't change the rules. They made an unfortunate rule. And JMU, it falls under it. Um, the rule's terrible. The rule is awful. But if you want to be a stickler for that sort of thing, there is a law that says JMU can't make it. That doesn't mean we can't change things. I mean, let's be honest. Unless there's a cop listening. Like, speed limits are cool. We, we should have speed limits. 
But I think there's a lot of people who in certain roads, in certain parts of those roads, think the speed limit is wrong and go over it. But by the letter of the law, it's speeding if you go over it. You understand what I'm saying. The NCAA put in a terrible rule, so much so that they changed it. I think it's for 2027, 2028, I think, is where the change will take place. And it mostly had to do with money. They didn't want schools to have to pay less to make the jump from from FCS to FBS. So by the letter of the law, I understand that the the waiver couldn't get changed. But like, think about it. If JMU was seven and four, or eight and three, or whatever, like you know, six and five, then okay, we all sit there. We're like, yeah, we understand completely. You know, obviously it still stinks. We'll sit here. We'll backdoor. We'll get our. You know, we'll kick down the back door and get in that way. JMU is ten and zero. JMU is ten and zero. And they're not going to be able to go to a ball game. That's that's worthy of them. I still feel like JMU's going to make a bowl game. All the projections that we've seen, whether it's The Athletic, whether it's Brett McMurphy, whether it's some of these other websites, all the projections have them falling short. And JMU and Jacksonville State, who also has a case, even though it's a less one because it's their first year, all these people have cases, and they should still make it in to a bowl game, but it won't be worthy of a bowl that a team like JMU should have. And it's just it's just very frustrating for the college football fan. For the college football fan. Now I know, and once again, we talked about this yesterday, like outside of the bubble, outside of our bubble, people don't really know James Madison. Well, guess what? Saturday, they're going to know a lot about James Madison. And I hope, and we're hoping to have a college game day guest on tomorrow, I hope they go insane on this story. And I think they will. And I think JMU, you know, there's going to be a lot of interesting signs. I saw somebody say, you know, is it going to be crazy? I think it is going to be crazy, but just because it's it's college game day. Like, it's just one of those things. It's the preeminent show on Saturday mornings. You heard James Carpenter yesterday, which you can... Um, well, Tuesday, you heard James Carpenter. He said he usually got up and watched the show before kickoff and heading out to the stadium for his game. So what do we all do? Or at least a lot of us do. And I hope that show goes insane on the NCAA. I'm stunned that they came out with the decision beforehand. And it was a no. I'm just stunned. And it shows how tone deaf they are. Like, they don't realize how much they're going to get crushed on Saturday. And, look, I if I'm Keith Gill... I mean, the NCAA is a worthless organization as it is anyway. Like, I think football at some point is going to get away from the NCAA... Uh, basketball will have a little bit of a harder time doing so. But I, 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 if I was Keith Gill, I would seriously consider allowing JMU to play in the Sunbelt Championship game anyway and just deal with the consequences. Because they, you know, if the Sunbelt went rogue on the NCAA, they'd, get, they'd gain so much respect. Now, obviously, respect versus whatever punishment the NCAA will give them for that, two different things. But they would get such respect from everybody across the country for going rogue against the NCAA. Um, the Sunbelt has done everything else right. Why not do this right? So it was really disappointing. It's disappointing for Jacksonville State, too. Like, let's be honest here. Jacksonville State's been one of the better football teams in the group of five. Now, look, they have a couple of losses. But I think their win total was was three and a half, four and a half. I hit the over. I hit it early. Um, but Jacksonville State's been fantastic. Give all the credit in the world to Rich Rodriguez and what he's done at that program. And 
If for some reason they were going to be given a waiver, I'm pretty sure they would have been winning their half of the division in the Sun Belt or in the Conference USA. But unfortunately, the NCAA is stupid, and they ruined them as well. And Tarleton State, I don't, I didn't really know what Tarleton State's um, situation was. I think they're an FCS level team because they're certainly not in the FBS. But those were the three schools that were all uh, denied their waiver. It was, it's ridiculous. There's just, there's just no reason to do this, especially to the kids from James Madison who couldn't play for the playoffs their last year in the FCS, couldn't make a bowl game after year one, couldn't make a bowl game after year two. Um, that's just that's really tough. Don't tell me you're for the student-athlete NCAA when you do things like that. You're just clearly not. It's one of those things where you're just clearly not. Uh, 3270888, that is the phone number. That is the text line for the show. Uh, if you want to comment in, obviously, there's no dissenting opinion here. At least I don't think so in this area. I think even Richmond fans who, you know, longtime rivals of James Madison. I think William & Mary fans, rivals of James Madison. I think anybody who's a rival of James Madison would agree. Like, they belong in a bowl game of suited of their caliber. As I said, you look at Brett McMurphy's thing, they are playing Toledo in a bowl game, but that's not what, what they're supposed to be. They're, they're supposed to be in a really good bowl game. They're supposed to be playing for a New Year's Six if they go undefeated. The NCAA is so rooting for them to lose one of these next two games. So rooting for them. And I hope we don't get one of those backroom phone calls to the officials like, hey, can you uh, screw JMU a little bit so they lose this game? I would be that would be disgusting. By the way, Brett McMurphy has them playing in the Myrtle Beach Bowl against Toledo December 18th in Conway, South Carolina. That'd be a that's a solid bowl. I hate putting two group of five teams against each other. What does that accomplish? But whatever. The uh, attorney general is going to fight for it. Like I get politicians get involved. There's no great unifier more in sports than um Sports, excuse me, there's no great unifier in politics more than sports. People on both sides, all sides, they all agree. If they're all alums of a certain school, they will do whatever it can they can to get certain school to move on. So they'll fight this thing through the politics angle. I just don't think it's going to do anything. I just, the NCAA is not changing. And soon, this fight will continue, and it won't matter anyway. They won't be in the Sunbelt uh, Conference Championship game, so it won't matter. But it was very frustrating to see last night. I was very unhappy by that. Uh, let's take a time out. Coming up, uh, Bobby Carpenter will join us. A legendary linebacker uh, from college football. And um, he's the co-host of The Morning Juice on 97.1. He's on Sirius XM. He's got his own show, his own podcast. Bobby Carpenter will join us next to talk about the injustice that happened to James Madison. And we'll get his thoughts on some other things. We'll get his thoughts on the sign-stealing stuff with regards to Jim Harbaugh. We'll see if he can keep it down the middle as an Ohio State guy. Bobby Carpenter will join us next, 1061 ESPN. Ball is back. Every Spiders men's basketball broadcast can be heard here on your home for the Richmond Spiders, 1061 ESPN. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN, Matt Joseph's here. Uh, we are pushing the interview back uh, 15 minutes, so he will join us around 3.30, and um, that's fine. We're perfectly good with that because there's plenty of stuff that we can talk about. Um, one of the many reasons why Feast Week is great, Feast Week, 
I said it right the first time. Uh, for college basketball is because there's basketball on at all hours. Already we had one game in the books. Charleston lost to Vermont in the Myrtle Beach Invitational, 73-64. So Charleston, who had a really good year last year, they're 1-2. Vermont's 3-0. and uh, I talked about it yesterday during uh, my Spider updates uh, during the Spiders game. It's a nice opportunity for uh, the Atlantic 10 to get three solid wins in three neutral court games. Uh, St. Louis is up 44-42 on Wyoming with uh 15 minutes left. They are also in Myrtle Beach. And then at 4 o'clock, Dayton and LSU in uh, Charleston. At TD Arena in the Charleston Classic. And then St. Bonaventure in Oklahoma State at 6.30 on ESPNU in the Vivid Seats Legends Classic at the Barclays Center. So three opportunities for the A-10. And you guys know my philosophy here is basically... Um, Put all your rivalries aside and root for your conference to save you so that way there could be multiple teams that make the NCAA tournament from the A-10. Um, this is crazy. The ESPN's score tracker is very far ahead of the uh, television. Uh, it's at least 45 seconds ahead, it feels like, because St. Louis just scored on TV, and it's about 30 seconds behind what it was on the um, on on ESPN's game tracker. Um. Let's review what happened last night in college basketball. First off, VCU. Obviously, that was a tremendous win for the Rams. They were down, I think, as much as eight to Radford in the first half. It did not look good. And then they kind of took over in the second half. They clamped down. They played some great defense. They shot the ball really well. And they played for VCU a really good second half 20 minutes. Hopefully, the the people who text us, the people who are like had one foot off the ledge can step back a little bit because, obviously... Um, yeah, they're fine, as we've said. And a 73-50 win over a pretty good Radford team. Now, look, this is not going to help their uh, net. Radford's not going to be up there net-wise, but it's a loss you couldn't afford to have. So VCU's 2-1. and one. They have Seattle on Saturday. Seattle's not a terrible team, although they just had a terrible loss to Northern Arizona last night. Uh, that was not a good look for Chris Victor's team. Seattle, the Red Hawks. We'll get into it a little bit more tomorrow. It's a respectable team. They have, uh, in previous years, I'd sit here and say, they are 346 in turning the ball over. I'd be like, oh, VCU's going to tear them up. Well, I mean, obviously, Havoc isn't here, but um, it's another opportunity for Ryan Odom's team to get a victory at home. And then they head out to this tournament in, in Kissimmee. And uh, we'll see what they can come up with. Iowa State, that's a solid game. There's a couple of other solid games, potentially. There is Penn State lurking, uh, maybe, if they line up perfectly. And in that Iowa State game, of course, they get to play Hassan Ward. So Rams are sitting at 2-1. and one. Hopefully everybody's feeling better. Uh, Jason Nelson played really well. Zeb Jackson played really well. Like, let's just all settle down a little bit with regards to... Um, VCU after the 73-50 win over Radford. Uh, on the Richmond side, I well, first off, I was frustrated they did not get the cover. We uh, I gave out, because we obviously can't bet it here, I gave out Richmond plus five. They were down seven. They had the ball with like eight seconds left. They couldn't even get a shot. And then, you know, that was a little frustrating. But here's the thing about Richmond. I think we kind of had, you know, I don't think any Spiders fans were sitting here counting NIT tickets, NCAA tournament tickets after those first two games. It's kind of like, okay, you did what you were supposed to in the in the first two games, and you played 
decent against Boston College. You had a really good first half. I think they were up like 16 in the first half, whatever it was. It was a really good first half for the Spiders. And then it all just kind of fell apart once BC decided to start playing some defense. Like they decided to start doing some things. Oh, they were up 14 with seven minutes left in the first half. It was 28-14. Neil Quinn had a really good game offensively. His first scoring-wise really good game offensively. He had nine and six in the previous two. Uh, He had five rebounds, five assists, and four blocks. He did really well. We talked about kind of how the Quinton Post-Neil Quinn matchup was going to be a deciding factor. Quinton Post had 17, 6, 5, and he had six turnovers too. So actually, Neil Quinn outplayed him. It's just Neil Quinn didn't get much help. Jordan King was locked down by Jaden Zachary, and you kind of realize that at times the Spiders don't have enough scoring. Jason Roach was 1 of 8. No comment there. A little frustrating on that end, but that's all right. You're going to win some, you're going to lose some in betting. Um, My thoughts on Richmond haven't changed. If you told me before the season they'd start out 2-1, and one, I'd say, yep, they're starting out 2-1. and one. They go to uh, they also head down to Florida. Daytona Beach, where I'm, I'm excited to see how Tan Bob gets sitting on the beach. That's going to be exciting. Um, they get Colorado in their first game, and they get either Florida State or UNLV in the second game. If I'm going to be realistic, most likely they're going to come back with two L's. Although, I'll say this, Colorado's 3-0, Colorado is uh, shooting 51% from three-point land, they have a very veteran team, a lot of seniors, a lot of juniors, a couple freshmen here and there, Uh, they got Eddie Lampkin, who was really good at TCU, had that little problem towards the end of the season with TCU, and of course stopped playing, Um, Colorado should probably win that game, and then I would assume that Florida State would beat UNLV, which means uh, Richmond would play UNLV. I mean, look, UNLV is not terrible with Kevin Kruger. I don't think they're beating Florida State and the ageless one. I mean, Leonard Hamilton, I feel like every year I see him in Charlotte, he just looks the same. He never gets older. I need to know what he does. He just, he's amazing looking. And he's He's one of my favorite interviews. They actually offered him to me, but I couldn't work it in to my time slot. But I think Florida State probably wins that game. And UNLV's 1-1. One and one. They lost to Southern at home the first game. They beat Stetson the second game. They've got Pepperdine tomorrow uh, in an away game. Um, if Richmond comes out of their 1-1, one and one, I think that's good. If they come out of it 0-2, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, you're a terrible team. Like, it's just that's the way it is. Then you come home that next Saturday and you play Queens in a game that should be really fun because both teams will kind of push it just a little bit. Um, I feel like, it. you know, Richmond's kind of in the same boat as the Commanders. Like, I think a winning record is a way, is a, a successful season for Richmond. I think developing the younger players, uh, Michael Tyne, um, you know, I'm trying to see here, Mike Walls, you know, some of the other guys who don't play as much as freshmen. Like, I feel like this is a team that needs to develop their younger kids. And if they can get a winning record and develop those kids and maybe, look, we are nowhere near March. If they get offered a CIT or a CBI bid, obviously there's a little difference because you bid for home games and you have to pay for home games and there's stuff that's involved in everything. But like, if there was ever a team that should play in one of those two tournaments, it would be this year's Richmond Spiders team. So, um, I really think that what, you know, them losing yesterday didn't tell me anything too much or too little. Just told me that, you know, 
stepping up to an ACC team on the road. They just weren't ready yet. We'll see what happens as the season goes along. So I know in this society and and in this seat that I have right here, I'm supposed to be like, yeah, radical. No, I'm just going to play it down the middle. Just going to say yesterday's game was something we kind of expected. Um, Virginia Tech had a nice win. They beat Campbell. But I'll say this, Lynn Kidd is having a tremendous season so far. Lynn Kidd had 24 and 10, uh, 24 and 15 yesterday. He's averaging 16.7 and 10.7 in three games. He's had double-digit points in three games. He's had double-digit rebounds in two games. It's pretty good. If Lynn Kidd can score, and then you know what you're going to get, hopefully, from Sean Padula and Hunter Couture every night. And if somebody can step off the bench and, and, and score some points, this team might not be as bad as we think they're going to be. Of course, as I said, you know they're not playing anybody. Campbell's a relatively easy opponent. They were no match for him. Uh, Virginia Tech's defense was pretty good. They play Wofford at home on Sunday, which could be a sneaky good game, although I don't know how good Wofford is this year. Usually Wofford's pretty good. Um, I know Richmond's played Wofford recently. And then Tech next week, next Thursday, goes to Kissimmee for the same tournament with uh, VCU. Um, so those are the state schools that played yesterday. I don't think there was anybody else. Um, today in college basketball, state schools, William & Mary is playing Nebraska-Omaha in a tournament at Air Forces Arena. So it's one of those MTEs where I'm guessing they're playing you know, everybody that's there, but it's taking place at... Um, Air Forces Arena. So, yeah, they'll play Nebraska-Omaha today, Air Force tomorrow, Lindenwood on Sunday. Not a bad place. Colorado Springs is a nice place. Um, so that's uh, good for William & Mary, who's 2-1 and one on the season. Liberty is taking on Furman in the Myrtle Beach Invitational. That's tonight at 7 o'clock. Liberty's a slight favorite in that one. Furman's usually pretty good. Ask Virginia fans. Low blow. That's my bad. Um, and then Virginia's got Texas Southern tonight at 7 o'clock. They're 23-point favorites. Uh, another, it should be another cakewalk game for uh, Virginia as they get another opportunity to kind of just work out the the rotations and things like that. They're 3-0 and this season. They've beaten Florida and two nobodies. They play Wisconsin on Monday out in Fort Myers, Florida in a game I will not watch. Guaranteed. Just telling you now, will not watch. Can't stand that they put those two teams against each other. Wisconsin is 1-2 and two so far, and they're actually playing faster than they usually do. They still can't score, but they're playing faster, so it may not be as boring of a game, but those two teams should never play each other, really. Um, So that's the college basketball look, and St. Louis is up 55-47 over Wyoming, 11 minutes left to go in the Myrtle Beach Invitational. Uh, Let's take a timeout. Coming up, uh, we will try and catch up with Bobby Carpenter. Hopefully he's ready here. If he's not, we got some other things to uh, discuss, some college football updates and all that good stuff. We'll take you up to 4 o'clock. You're listening to 1061 ESPN. We just head to our website and to our This Week on 1061 ESPN Richmond page for a preview of what's to come on 1061 ESPN. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here, uh, taking up until 4 o'clock. We're uh, somewhat picking up the pieces after the NCAA does not do the right thing and, and allow our JMU Dukes to uh, make it to a New Year's Six Bowl or the Sun Belt Championship. So Saturday should be really fun when college game day is there. Uh, one of the guys that we always see and hear on ESPN whenever they talk college football, he's joining us now. He's the co-host of the Morning Juice on 97.1. You can hear him on Sirius XM College, especially Saturday mornings when I'm on with him. He's also a, uh, a seven-year NFL linebacker. Uh, joining us now is one Bobby Carpenter. Bobby, how's it going? 
It's going great, Matt. How are you doing, sir? Uh, doing well, Bobby. Obviously, it's funny. I was telling everybody, whenever I come on with you guys on Saturday, I start out with a JMU thing, and uh, we get the unfortunate news yesterday. What was your reaction when you heard that the NCAA is going to uh, deny the waiver for the Dukes and there will be no bowling most likely for them? Oh, I was I was devastated, disappointed. Cause I know those those players are excited. You're moving up to FBS. Everything seems to be going well. You're winning a crap ton of games. You should be able to win your conference and potentially playing the New Year's Six Bowl. And now none of those things are going to happen. Uh, why? I'm not quite sure. I didn't see the NCAA's explanation, but I couldn't imagine that it's anything worth note. Um, how when you see a team like that in the offseason, they entered the year knowing that they weren't going to make a bowl game, and you only see one kid transfer out. What does that say about the program and the players in the program that they stuck around even though there was an uncertain postseason for them? Uh, well, they they understood you know what could potentially be there, and you commit to something, and obviously they've got a great relationship with their coach, and there's a great camaraderie and brotherhood within the program and it, and you see that sometimes and you know, sometimes just kind of waiting it out and they have a chance to have a phenomenal year and it'll be a phenomenal year that'll be talked about probably more than maybe it would have if something you know they would have maybe potentially won do you think do, do you think that they're going to take all those frustrations out on app state or do you think they might be a little hung over on saturday uh it's it's an interesting piece like that because I think you know you look at one hand there's a lot of anger there's a lot of frustration yeah you can choose to take that out um, or there's also the the sadness and despair for the fact that that hope is gone that maybe they were hanging on to I would tend to believe that I think there's going to be more you know anger and you know negative emotions that are desired to be released as opposed to general apathy or sadness or you know despair we always hear about games where t- where players let down a little bit or they're looking ahead to next week. Obviously, for Ohio State, it's the week before Michigan. When you were playing, was that ever the case when you guys were clearly unmotivated by an opponent that maybe wasn't as good or you had a better game the next week? Um, Gosh. You, know, it's, it, you try to stay focused on the moment. I think that's the biggest thing is you want to make sure that you're locked in. You try to overlook and say, hey, here, this happened here. We've got this opponent next week, the opponent after. And you, tr- you try to stay locked in as best you can. They're college kids, so you know their mind is going to wonder. There's going to be things you go up and down. And you know, This is just news to those guys. Um, you know, they, there's all kinds of news that comes in. That's why I said college is there's a higher degree of variability than the NFL because you, know, you have guys who you know they've got an exam, maybe they didn't do well on it. You know, maybe their girlfriend broke up with them. Their car wouldn't start that morning. There's all kinds of stuff that, as an adult and as a professional, you handle a lot better because you have a greater breadth of experience. When you're younger, you're, the emotional pendulum is so much greater for these guys. So how people handle it is all over the place. So you try to stay focused in the moment the best you can. How would you have handled, because obviously nowadays also, after wins, losses, these kids hear from people on social media. If social media was around when you played, how would you have handled it? Uh, that's a great question. I, I ask myself that all the time. Is you know, if Twitter was here, would I be on it? Would I be? Would I care about it? You know, would I be into it? Facebook was in its infancy. Like Ohio State was one of the first colleges to get it. You had to have a college email back in the day, and there was no mobile phone. You get on your desktop, your laptop, and use it. So where it's come to now, where you get instant feedback from people that you don't even know, people don't even care about, and they're more than willing to share their feelings with you. It can be a great 
Avenue can be a great venue for success and to be able to facilitate things and brand building and all that. But there is a lot of negative energy. And, uh, you know, I give a lot of guys credit. Like, I'm not on it or I'll check my mentions. I don't worry about it. Because the human nature is, you know, generally seeking approval and it's hard. So I, I would like to believe that it wouldn't bother me. I try to tell my kids, don't worry about it. Who cares? You know, I, I, I try to live that now because not everybody's going to love my opinion. And you know what? It's not for everyone. So I try to realize that. But there is some frustrating moments, you know, when you try to get in, you know, to quote it, you know, emotional Twitter war, if you will. Um, so what did you think of the last college football playoff rankings? Um, you know, it's, Sounds about right. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, do I think Oregon's playing better than Washington at this moment? Probably. Do I think Alabama's playing better than Texas at this moment? Probably. You know, both of those teams lost to the other. And especially Texas went into Alabama and won by Tuscaloosa and won by double digits. So that's a real piece as well. So you've got to factor that in. You know, Georgia just had a huge win, obviously, really kind of back-to-back to better wins, and they smoked Ole Miss. I get why they moved them above Ohio State. You know, and you start looking at the convergence. This has been the first year, I feel like, in probably 15 to 20 years, where you felt like each conference maybe has a team to offer that could potentially go and challenge. So that's what makes this year, as you see the convergence of whether it's the Pac-12 title game or the Big Ten, you know, Ohio State and Michigan here in, in two weeks. And you look at the SEC with even Georgia and now Bama coming on. Florida State kind of stands alone. The Big 12 of Texas and whoever could potentially challenge there. There's a lot of different options that we're looking at. And this is for the first time in a while I feel like that's occurred. It feels like there's nine teams with Louisville having the longest shot, nine and one, but probably going to make the ACC championship game. It feels like there's nine teams who could make that four-team playoff. Do you think that's about right? That seems a little high. I'm sure there's nine teams that could. I feel like it's probably more like seven but, you know, when you say that, like, it's been, we've seen some crazy stuff this year in college football. Now, so I'm not, I wouldn't rule all that out. Not, you know, I said Georgia's starting to play really football. I think Ohio State's starting to play better. Michigan's looks pretty good. But the consistency for all of these teams, especially through the first half, the two-thirds of the year, was wild, wildly unpredictable. And so that's the thing is you catch one of these teams on an average day and you're playing well, they may be better than you, but – you got a chance to chance to beat them because I don't think there's any great teams this year. For those who didn't see you on your uh, a weekly Pat McAfee um, uh, appearance, who is your who do you think is playing the best football? Who's your number one right now? Well, I've got Ohio State, you know, number one with my man Pat, and that's you know put them up there. They've undefeated. They've been playing good, and I think they're finally starting to hit their stride a little bit. They've been nicked up the last couple of weeks with some injuries, but hopefully that that that's beginning to subside. In Georgia, this is the first time I think I've seen them play. A couple of games, they've risen to the level of their uh, of their expectation that they've had to play here. You look early in the season, struggling some, you know, against you know the Auburns of the world. Vanderbilt not playing great in the first half, and they smoke Kentucky. They handle Florida thoroughly. Then you watch the last couple of games. You know, Michigan's done a pretty good job too. They've looked good. Like it's just a lot of these teams are really starting to tighten up right now, Matt, which is what you want to see coming the end of the year. It feels like Florida State is a quiet 10 and 0 because obviously with everything that's going on in the Pac-12 and the SEC and um, and the Big Ten, obviously it feels like Florida State's kind of lurking underneath everyone, and no one's talking about them at 10 and 0. Well, I think part of that is you know you look that LSU losses or win doesn't look quite as good given the fact that LSU has three losses. You know, and the rest of the ACC, North Carolina is supposed to be really good. They faded Duke, I think. You know, when they 
when they had Riley Leonard, I mean, they were a very, very dangerous team. They could run the ball. They looked good. Um, you know, Louisville's kind of come out of nowhere, but I just don't think that there is maybe the buzz around the rest of the conference. You look at the back end of that conference, it's not great. And I think outside of Florida State, there's a fairly significant drop. But we'll, we'll ultimately see when they face Louisville, most likely at the end of the season. Uh, talking with Bobby Carpenter, a little college football. What did you make of this whole Michigan sign-stealing scandal? I feel like, obviously, they went too far. Buying tickets and sitting in the stands and doing that stuff, that's too far. But I feel like every program in America, to some extent, is doing something to try and steal the signs of the opponent. What have you kind of thought about this story as it's kind of made its way through the media? Well, I think everybody goes and tries to pick calls up in-game. You try to pick up signals. You, know, you watch stuff, you hear things, you try to figure it out on film. But you know, that's where it's always ended in the film room and on the field. And the, the difference is in that, especially in-game, you don't have time to digest it because you're not able to record them. And so you, you're trying to piece it together during the game. And players are playing, coaches are coaching. You may have people that are trying to pick that up. But, I mean, you have to be like Rain Man out there to kind of put some of this stuff together really quickly. Whereas, you know, you sit down and you have the ability to marry a call with what is happening on the field, you give me a week, and I could probably figure that out for most co- for most teams on what the the call is, both offensively or defensively, what the formation looks like, coverage looks like. And when you can get those in real time, it doesn't guarantee you success. But if you can put yourself in the best case scenario for knowing what your opposition is going to do, you know, we used to, you, know, you joke when it was called in the NFL. And it's script for success on Fridays, man. Your blitzes are all coming free on the defensive side. You know, on the offensive side, you always pick everything up. You get the exact coverage that you wanted on this play. And, you know, it's a 14-yard gain on a third and eight or, you know, a touchdown in the red zone because you're getting exactly what you want because you know what it is. Where when you're playing, part of it is deciphering. We talk about guys all the time, what makes him special. Well, look how instinctual he is. He can see this. He moves faster. He plays faster than his time. Well, yeah, if you know what's coming, you're going to definitely do that. And that's going to be a huge advantage to you. What's up? What would your penalty have been? Like, how would you have handled it? Because I've always said, you know, obviously, look, the adults have let down the kids. I, I It's hard to punish yeah. Michigan, the program, because it's not like the kids were doing it. It's the adults in the room. So what would your penalty have been? It's tough because when you look at this, the players had to know where some of this is coming from, but they're not the ones that were doing it. And I'm not going to ask, you know, a 19 year old kid to stand up to his coach and be like, "Where are we getting all these signs?" By the way, coach, like, we seem to have these pretty good. Talk to my buddies that play at other schools, and they don't really seem to maybe know, you know, quite to the degree that we've got this down. And um, I, I, I really wish I had a great penalty for you. Like before the season, I think if you knew this going into the year. You probably could have said, hey, maybe you do a postseason ban or whatever it is. But like trying to hit it mid-stride is really tough. And I don't, I don't know if there's a good solution to this. I think you know, in the offseason, yeah, they're going to sit there and look at it. And I think there's a lot more still that is there to come out. And there's some other stuff that's going on as well that, you know, that I think will eventually come out that maybe isn't fully privy on the public, public spectrum yet. But you're trying to do this mid-season – and you know, I think they're trying to obviously not release everything and, and all the information they have. I mean, most of it's given to them by the schools. So I, I think probably suspending Harbaugh is probably about right. He's the head coach. He doesn't even call plays. You know, is it two games? Was it one game? Was it three games? I don't know because we always lament the fact that the NCAA takes forever and no one gets punished who is actually part of it. Now you're trying to maybe punish the program for some lack of oversight, whether you know Jim Harbaugh knew or didn't, you know you try to figure out what was going on in the program. 
it seems kind of right. I mean, you're still giving the kids an opportunity to go out and play. Um, but I, it's really, I, I do not envy Tony Petiti at all for having to come in and try to make this decision in his first year. The irony of this story, it feels like, is, you know, if they didn't have that suspension at the beginning of the season and kind of already worked through things without him, this might have hurt more, but they already had a bunch of games where he wasn't the head coach. So it's like old hat, it feels like, for them. Yeah, they were uniquely equipped to be able to handle the situation. And you know, they worked through some stuff. They had, you know, four different coaches, I think, over three games. One guy split a half. So then they got some work done. They really didn't play with him in the non-conference. And they got a big win against Penn State on the road without Jim Harbaugh. They're like, I tip my cap. Well done. Good to you. Sharon Moore did a good job. You're coaching him up. Um, and I think Michigan's one of the best teams in the country. So we'll see kind of how they play here over the next two to three weeks. Last question for you. The game of the week, it feels like, is uh, Oregon State and Washington. Any early thoughts on, on, on this one? I mean, you've got Washington who's putting up incredible numbers, but it feels like Oregon State with that ground game could certainly keep that offense off the field. Yeah, that's the thing. And how, you know, how much do they run DJ? What does he look like? You know, his success uh, is going to, I think, be paramount. You know, can they control the clock, keep Washington off the field? You look back at a couple games they struggled with. Maybe they shouldn't have. You know, there was rumors of the flu. Michael Penix not feeling well. You know, they look to be playing and clicking much better on offense. I believe Dylan Johnson, you know, had over 100 yards last week. So they got the running game going a little bit better. Uh, but this is going to be the game because if Oregon State wins this, all of a sudden you're the Pac-12 and you're like, all right, we might not have an undefeated champion. I think a lot of people looked and said, we'll stack the top five teams in the Pac-12 up against any other team, any other conferences, but they're top five, and we feel like we're better. And I honestly agree that with that. But the cannibalization has been tough. So I think the Pac-12 is probably pulling for Washington. But this is in Corvallis. Oregon State could throw a huge wrench in it because they have Washington and Oregon back-to-back. And you saw them beat Oregon last year. So who knows what they're capable of doing. But they can win big ones, especially at home. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at BCARP3. Check him out on Sirius XM College Radio and uh, The Morning Juice as well on 97.1 The Fan. Bobby, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Matt, thank you so much for having me on. All right, uh, that is uh, Bobby Carpenter of uh, The Morning Juice and Sirius XM, former NFL linebacker, former Ohio State linebacker, and um, all-around uh, good guy. He is at bcarp3 on Twitter, and hopefully I will be talking to him on Saturday as part of uh, their uh, Sirius XM college show around, what time is it? It's uh, around 9.30-ish is when I'm on with uh, them. I mean, look, that's the, uh, that's the unique part of this story. When it comes to this Michigan story, as I said, it, it would have meant more if they didn't have the first couple of games without him already. So, like, they've already practiced this. They've already had this. And if you missed it, the Michigan's dropping their counter-investigation, so they're just going to let the three-game suspension happen. Um, that kind of works well. I kind of – I, I, listen, I think that um, – the Big Ten is happy because the counter-investigation would unearth things that I don't think the conference wants to have unearthed. We already saw the stories that I think it was Rutgers, Ohio State, and some other school were sharing Michigan signals because they were tired of losing to Michigan and because they knew that Michigan was stealing their signals. So, like, there's all this stuff going around, but I think they're really glad to have Michigan drop the countersuit. And I think Michigan's like, 
screw it. We'll just win these last two games. We'll get uh, coach for the games that matter in the uh, Big Ten championship game and their bowl game uh, and the college football playoff games and all that stuff. Um, but it's just a fascinating story, to say the least. Yeah, it's not a great college football slate, but that game, Washington-Oregon State at 7.30, which I'm guessing and I'm hoping is not on the Pac-12 network, um, that's the highlight. It's on ABC, thank goodness. And all I do laugh, all the people in Corvallis were so mad that College Game Day was not coming there um, because, obviously, that is the game of the weekend, and if this JMU stuff wasn't happening and if they were 8-3 and three or whatever, College Game Day would never be there. But it's so funny to listen to all the hatred coming out of Corvallis for College Game Day not coming in. Uh, let's take a timeout. We'll do one final segment. You're listening to 106.1 ESPN. Home for the Dallas Cowboys all season is 1061 ESPN. Brought to you by Arthur's Electric and Park and Go. Welcome back. 1061 ESPN. Matt Joseph's here. If you ever miss an interview, go to our website, ESPNRichmond.com. You can find my interviews there, Bob's interviews there, Al's interviews there, whoever you're looking for. Um, you can find them on our website, ESPNRichmond.com, and as well as various contests and things going on. Um, our website is definitely a great resource. We try to break out the hours and the interviews because we know some of you are just interested in the interviews. Some of you are interested in more than that. All right. Uh, a couple of texts here. Um, text here in year 19 of the, of, uh, of, in, of Chris Mooney, the best we can hope for after three games is a CIT bid. And we had no realistic hope of beating a perennial cellar dwelling ACC team in it's more Garena. This is the state of the program. I don't, it's more the fact of all the changes that are going on. It's more the fact of a roster that was basically reshuffled. I mean, if Tyler Burton is there, then the Richmond expectations are completely different. Um, you lose a guy of that caliber, um, you know, look, Jordan King was really good at East Tennessee State and Siena. Um, Delani Hunt was really good at Wagner. These guys are good, but like you can't just expect them automatically to come over, fit into a system, and work out right away. I, I you know, I thought that Richmond could win at Boston College. I obviously, as somebody who took them plus five, I didn't, you know, that's not exactly a, a large margin. So I figured they were going to uh, have be in it. And they played really well in the first half, and then Boston College started playing defense. And look, you know, sometimes the the worst place to be is in a half-empty building. It's almost worse at times to be in a half-empty building where there's no energy as opposed to a full building. Kind of like these MTE tournaments where, like, you know, it's friends and family, it feels like. Um, he also went on to say, why are the standards so much lower for UR than VCU? VCU brings in a new coach, an entire new team, and the expectations are to win the league and make the NCAAs. I think it's based off of the players. Um, I think it's based off of uh, winning attitude, basically. I feel like it's, you know, look, uh, realistically, VCU's expectations should be the NIT this year. Um if you go based off of fans, all the fans in that fan base and a lot of fan bases are overly confident about their team. VCU's roster is very good. Started slow because obviously you have a new head coach. You're missing a key in Sean Bearstow. There's a bunch of things that you know that are there. But I think you kind of just go into each season and say, all right, let me look at the roster. Let me look at the coach. Let me look at the schedule. What's my realistic expectation? 